Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It's time once again for FOMO Friday. Yes, this is the time where we love to cure your fear of missing out, uh, particularly if you're not listening to propaganda media, by bringing you the stories of the week. We do this every Friday, and we love to get into stories that you may or may not have heard about. One of the things that kept many Christians and conservatives going through the the past few years of, of COVID mandates was the fact that even though many of our God-given freedoms were being taken away uh, here in this country, uh, it it was, and and in some cases still is in many parts of the world, worse there, right? And so you you could look and see, man, these guys have it really bad. (laughs) And, and just, and, and, you know, we're putting up with some mandates where some God-given freedoms are being taken away, but you know, it it could be worse, right? Well, North Korean authorities sentenced an entire family, including a two-year-old child, get this, to life in prison. Yes. After one of the family members was found to be in possession of a Bible. Oh no, right? Well, the incident, which occurred in 2009, but surfaced in a recent report on worldwide religious freedom from the State Department, is one of several harrowing um, punitive measures uh, levied against Christians and other minority groups in North Korea. The communist uh, heritocracy, which is a dictatorship uh, that that sent the two-year-old child and the rest of the family to political prison camps uh, where inmates routinely experience um, harsh physical mistreatment and dire conditions. Uh, There are estimated to be between about 50,000 and 70,000 citizens in prison camps for their Christian faith. And this is according to a report from the nonprofit ministry Open Doors. Uh, and th- this is the actual uh, report that was referenced by the State Department. Now, North Korean officials prompt all um, uh, all citizens to report anyone engaged in unauthorized religious activity or in possession of religious material, <laughs> while those deemed to be guilty of maintaining Christian beliefs. That's the, the terrible thing of maintaining Christian beliefs. Well, they undergo secret persecution and can face life sentences imposed uh, on up to three generations of the immediate family of the person found guilty. That's crazy, isn't it? Well, Korea Future, which is another nonprofit organization, has shared credible reports of Christians who received the death penalty for their faith. One woman and her grandchild were allegedly executed via firing squad in 2011, while a group of six were executed four years later. North Korea, while famous across the world for the dire poverty and the restrictions on religious freedom, which followed the uh, the founding of the Kim regime, uh, was once a bulwark, actually, of Christian faith in Asia. You may not have known that. Uh, Pyongyang is uh, the nation's capital city and was once called the Jerusalem of the East. 
and was home to a number of Christian schools, as well as the Presbyterian Seminary. Now, Pyongyang uh, once stood as a symbol of faith, uh, evangelical fervor, and the theological fidelity of uh, Joel Kim, the president of Westminster Seminary, California. Uh, And he wrote in an article about five years ago that perhaps naive, but I join many around the world in praying for Pyongyang uh, that it will once again become the shining light on a hill where Christ is known and proclaimed. Now, the city has five state-sanctioned churches, three of which are Protestant, one of which is Roman Catholic, and one of which is Russian Orthodox. Quote, one defector said that when he lived in in the city, uh, authorities arrested individuals whom they believed uh, lingered too long outside these churches to listen to the music or constantly drove past them each week when services were being being held on uh, suspicion of uh, of being secret Christians um, they they were actually doing this kind of thing <laughs> at least being in the vicinity of, of the church right uh, and this came directly from the State Department report um, this defector also said authorities quickly realized one unintended consequences of allowing music at the services and permitting persons to attend church. Uh, was that many attendees converted to Christianity, and therefore authorities took steps to mitigate that outcome. <laughs> Can't be having that. Well, North Korea is still estimated to have between 100,000 and 400,000 adherents to the Christian faith, even as the spiritual practices like um, consulting fortune tellers or participating in uh, shamanistic rituals uh, are are reportedly widespread, but difficult to quantify. Uh, practitioners of the superstitions also face crackdown from North Korean authorities, but are subjected to uh, a a separate legal process. So, just like in our own personal lives, what we're seeing here is that the church's spiritual growth most often comes in the face of adversity. May we make every effort to preserve our religious freedoms in this country before authorities begin placing entire families in jail for life for having a Bible. Now, remember when the government started handing out free money because of COVID? You know, checks went out to private individuals and companies and even even public schools that didn't even have any kids attending in person. Well, now we are starting to see that what what those schools are spending that money on. New Hampshire's Manchester School District received COVID relief funds to host a youth pride event with a drag performance. This is from a, a, a new report uh, that, that just came out. Manchester School District received $4,000 from Manchester's Community Event and Activation Grant Program, which actually is funded through the American Rescue Plan funds. The money which was awarded on May 10th will go toward hosting the Youth Pride event today. Now, of of the sum, 500 is earmarked for pride decorations and swag, (laughs) while another 500 
dollars is slated to be used for drag performers. Another 150 is set to be for lawn decorations. What kind of lawn decorations are you going to put out? One flyer uh, advertising the event told students that the Pride event would include a, a photo booth. Oh, great. As well as swag and food and entertainment and drag and LGBTQ plus affirming organizations. Oh, and don't forget cake and more. <laughs> well, Jennifer Gillis, the superintendent of schools for Manchester School District, stated that A's with uh, uh, with other years, or uh, uh, as with other years, this is uh, an after-school extracurricular opt-in event. And she also remarked, events such as this are considered uh, are, are consistent with the goals of our community developed strategic plan and in line with the district policies. She's probably not r- wrong about that. Tina uh, uh, Filibotti, who's the, the chief equity officer for the Manchester School District, also spoke out in favor of the Drag Queen event, saying, joyful spaces where LGBTQ plus youth feel loved, celebrated, and centered is the work of public education. Uh, I got a message for her. No, educating kids to read and to write and to do math. That's your job. The school district was hit with a lawsuit after one parent discovered that school staff were using alternative pronouns to refer to her child. The mother claims that although she requested that her child be uh, referred to by pronouns that reflected her child's sex, the principal informed her via email that her instructions had been overridden by district policy. So, are you convinced yet that the public schools are not the way to go for your kids? And speaking of woke public schools, four young Connecticut women who consistently had to race against boys in high school track meets, causing them to lose races that they could have otherwise won, are suing the Connecticut Association of Schools, the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, and their local school districts to change the policies that allowed the boys to compete against them. Now, the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, or the CIAC, uh, policy allowed two males to compete in girls' athletic competitions beginning in 2017 uh, and, and that track season. Those boys took 15 women's state championship titles, titles held in 2016 by nine different Connecticut girls and took more than 85 opportunities to participate in higher-level competitions from female track athletes in 2017, 18, and 19 seasons alone. Now, a lawsuit from Chelsea uh, Mitchell, uh, who is 20, and Selena Soul, who is 20, Ashley Nicoletti, 19, and Alana Smith, who's also 19, who all ran high school track, notes that the defendants claim that they're their plaintiffs, the girls, experienced no real harm. The lawsuit responds to this claim by contending that the CIAC's policy forced all named plaintiffs to compete against biological males, causing them to lose high-level opportunities to compete and or medals or other accolades, obviously. 
quote, at the end of the day, this is just about fairness, star runner Mitchell told the New York Post. This is about biology. I wanted to give voice to my story and help other girls out there so that they wouldn't have to experience this. Just two athletes took so many opportunities away from the biological females even though there were only two of them, they took 15 championships away from other girls. And there are 85 girls that were directly impacted from them being in the races. Now, in Mitchell's first statewide competition, she com- competed against two boys who, who knocked her out of qualifying for the next round of competition. It was just obvious, she said, to everyone that that they are a that they have a huge advantage. Everyone could see it. She lost two all New England awards and four girls state championships as a consequence of comp- of competing against the boys. Quote: Having to lose four of them time after time and trying to pick yourself up, go back to the starting line again and again was really hard because you you knew each time that there was no hope to win. She also said that. We were the first girls to speak out about this issue, but now there are so many girls speaking out about their own experiences and standing up with us. The more of us there are, the easier it gets. And and I, you know, I'm just still amazed, really, that after years of fighting for for equality in in female sports, that we see all of of the this just being dismantled today and and all this is being done without even a fight from women's groups. Um, Maybe this is starting to change. We'll keep an eye on it. And if you've not noticed, I have spent almost no time talking about the spending limit negotiations. And part of the reason is really summed up rather well, I think in something that Ben Shapiro wrote. And he said this, he said, This week, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden cut a deal to raise the debt limit. The the breakthrough came after three months of Biden pledging not to even negotiate over the debt limit. Instead, Biden was forced to concede to a 1% cap on increases for non-military spending, a cutback on the IRS funding, a uh, clawback of some unspent COVID allocations, and the addition of work requirements for some federal aid. Now, the compromise deal was indeed far less than the House Republicans had demanded, as uh, Representative Nancy Mace, uh, who's a a Republican from South Carolina, tweeted. She said, after factoring in a small cut to discretionary spending over the next two years, we are still talking about six trillion dollars more or less in spending because of large increases uh, in spending elsewhere government grew massively over the past three years this growth was uh, supposed to be energy funding only during covid um, emergency funding only only during covid well during this time government grew 40 percent or by two trillion dollars from 2019 to 2023. And we went from spending just over $4 trillion to spending just over $6 trillion. 
and and really every word of that critique is true compared to you know conservative ideals the the compromise bill is indeed a flaming bag of dismal manure <laughs> but but conservative ideals weren't on the table here biden is the president like it or not and senator chuck schumer thanks in large part to the tender 2020 uh, ministrations of of uh, President Trump and in 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 the Georgia Senate runoffs and and his uh, uh, further interference in the 2022 Senate races in Georgia, Arizona, New Hampshire, and, and Pennsylvania. Well, there's still the, he's still the, the Senate Majority Leader, and this means that Republicans were never going to get a big win on budgetary matters. And for that matter, Republicans couldn't even get a big win on budgetary matters from 2016 to 2018, when they controlled both the houses of Congress and Trump was actually president. In fact, Trump campaigned in 2016 against changes to entitlement programs, which represent the biggest driver of our national spending. Um, I, I uh, and 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 some some sixty two percent of the federal spending annually is contributed to that. Combine that spending with ten percent of our spending on net interest, so just paying interest on the debt we have is ten percent of our budget, and another thirteen percent or so on on defense spending, and the discretionary outlays at at issue represent well under one trillion dollars, and, and that's a lot of money uh, to be sure. But making serious cuts to that number would still put our budget in the $5 trillion range. The reality is that our budgetary uh, debates are generally about shift, shifting deck chairs on the you know, fiscal Titanic, right? By, by 2053, we will be dedicating uh, in excess of 21% of our national budget to debt service alone, that, that interest I was talking about. Mandatory spending will constitute 58% of our spending. We aren't going to cut our way out of this problem by targeting discretionary spending in, in the main. But nobody will touch the real drivers of our budgetary bloat and economic stagnation. It's Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And to do so would risk the, the wrath of entrenched in interests in the, in the United States. So instead, we just simply increase the size and the scope of federal spending, placing an unsustainable burden on our economy. And then eventually, mandating vastly increased taxes or serious um, you know, measures, there's, there's, there's just no third path forward. Our, our politicians know this. But they're in the business of, you know, kicking cans down the road while while posturing over the placement of deck chairs. I mean, the iceberg looms, but but their re-election efforts rely almost completely on ignoring its presence as we bear down full speed on our fiscal doom. And and I and I would I would just totally agree with Ben here. Conservatives have a valid complaint that this deal just scratches the surface of what has to be done. But the reality is that it is a step in the right direction, and we should take a win where it's presented. Biden and the Democrats are mad 
that they had to even negotiate in the first place. Let's let's take this and move forward from here, can we? Next comes a, a, a weird kind of story um, out of, of Boston, Massachusetts, and it, and it has to do with a member of their reparations task force. <laughs> yes, they have a reparations tax task force, right? Well, many individuals believe that that burning sage can provide you with certain benefits, such as a better night's rest and worrying off of of spirits. Whether that's true or not, it's it's probably isn't wise to try that sleeping aid strategy in Boston City Hall late at night without permission. <laughs> kind of a duh, right? Let, let, let that, that's exactly what Boston police alleged 35-year-old George Williams, Boston's reparations task force project coordinator, had, they've alleged that that's what he's been doing. Authorities say that Williams uh, overstayed his welcome, as they put it, at the Hubs City Hall for the past three weeks while showing uh, arguably erratic behavior. Uh, on Thursday night, Williams was arrested for allegedly trespassing in an upstairs office at 9.40 p.m. Eastern. Now, according to police report, city employees say that throughout May, they had had difficulties with him trespassing in the building after hours and at times becoming aggressive and threatening other staff members inside City Hall. Williams, who had has been arrested for multiple drug offenses in the past, uh, and this is according to the Massachusetts outlet uh, TV Daily News, uh, was allegedly found nonverbal in an off-limits room while Sage burned Thursday evening. Uh, he did not, uh, you know, ha- they didn't know how he got there. And, well, what he allegedly uh, claimed and and what what the police are now saying is that he chased off a custodian to gain access to the room. He was originally asked to leave by police, but became hostile. And according to Fox Twenty Five, Williams is a- accused of lunging at an officer before picking up a dustpan and broom to clean up his mess. <laughs> kind of weird, right? And then authorities requested him to leave again. And he allegedly swept debris in their direction. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, if it sounds bizarre, you should know that the police suspended, uh, suspected that he was on drugs, which makes sense, right? Officials finally de-escalated the situation and were able to haul him away, but, but not before he tried to attack a second member of the Boston Police Department. Um and and as as you can tell, only the the best and the brightest get hired by Boston's woke mayor Michelle Wu, right? <laughs> I mean this this guy tops the list, right? Williams was was picked by Wu actually to serve as part of her reparations task force uh, back last year, and that task force is supposed to be working with a research partner to release a study on the legacy of slavery in Boston and its impact on descendants today. This is according per the website. Um, and, and slavery, of course, became illegal in Boston through and throughout the Bay State in 1783. Williams, however, was excited as he 
once was to be the 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 project coordinator with with the group well he's no longer a part of it now in a statement to fox 25 the city said george williams was a part-time contractor his contract has been terminated <laughs> we remain committed to the work of the reparations task force and that work will continue they say <laughs> so would it surprise you to know that he is a former professor yes he was a former professor of the University of Colorado in this uh, uh, sociology department. And and how long will it be, do you think, that when, will it, will it take his allies and himself to, to blame his run-in here with the law on systemic racism stemming back from slavery or something like that, right? I mean, that is the sort of tactic that that, you know, they use all the time. And I think we're going to see it here, too. Um, but we're starting to see some universities do some pushback. The University of Carolina Medical School is disregarding its diversity, um, equity, and inclusion DEI task force recommendations to uh, integrate social justice into the school's health and science curricula. The school said in a letter to the Foundation for Individual Rights uh, and Expression, or FIRE, the news comes months after the school board voted to ban DEI statements in promotions, tenure, hiring, and admissions decisions. That's awesome, right? The university said that the letter to fire that, that, that the DEI task force is being disbanded and the university isn't implementing any of its recommendations. Wow, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, we, we, are, we are actually seeing really good things happening and and they're they're shying away from the DEI type stuff rather than going toward it. This is a really big step in the right direction and it should it should pay off for them in spades. And and let's end today with a story that's kind of weird and funny and it's not Russian disinformation. <laughs> a, a male beluga. Yes, a male beluga uh suspected of being trained to be a Russian spy reappeared off the coast of yet another country, according to a group that tracks the whale. <laughs> um, Vladimir is, is what the whale is known by, that's his name, uh, swam around Norway and showed up in the waters of neighboring Sweden where local authorities are helping to look after the creature. And this is what one whale organization announced in a statement on Monday. After four years of swimming uh, south down the coast of Norway, uh, the whale known worldwide as the Russian spy beluga whale, <laughs> I didn't even know there was such a thing, is now in Swedish waters, the group said. The whale first made headlines um, in 2019 when it was spotted in Norwegian waters wearing a harness with a GoPro camera <laughs> mounted and clips that said, Equipment of St. Petersburg, according to CNN. <laughs> they, they didn't even take off the clips. Norwegian intelligence officials uh, conducted an investigation and told BBC the whale was likely trained by Russian military. Of course, you know, the Russians are like, ah, that wasn't us, right? Uh, we, we wouldn't do anything like that, except the Washington Post noted that it published an advertisement several years back seeking to recruit dolphins. <laughs> I wonder if they speak dolphin. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> in the years since uh, the whale showed up, 
in Norway waters, the beluga has become a local celebrity. Everybody wants to come out and see him if they can. And as reported by the BBC, uh, Vladimir's uh, name combines the Norwegian word for whale, H-V-A-L, and the first name of the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> so they stuck the two together. And in, um, and Sebastian Strand, who is a marine biologist with one whale, uh, told The Guardian that Vladimir, who is uh, believed to be somewhere between about 13 and 14 years old, is at an age where hormones are, well, as they put it, very high. <laughs> and therefore, the whale may be searching for other belugas. <laughs> they, they also say that he was a, a captive whale uh, before he, he was trained and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, he may be getting a little lonely uh, over these last four years. So uh, he's kind of, you know, searching around for, for company, particularly, you know, human beings, because um, that's what he's used to. So, um, so, you know, now the next time that you see, a, a, let's say like a sea lion with a GoPro on, <laughs> you'll know what's going on. <laughs> and, and if you do, I would love to hear about it. So if, if you would just simply, you know, drop us a line, you can always go to, to Facebook. Uh, you can, uh, like us there. That would be great. That's always helpful. Uh, on Instagram, of course, you can, you can sign up and, uh, and get notifications whenever, uh, the podcast comes out uh, again. That, that's that's of, of great help to us. And of course, you can go to uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.